And welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts. I'm Jim Turpin. I'll be here until 11 today. We have two full hours of open line. That means we have a lot of time to talk and a lot of things to talk about. We invite you to jump in at any time. I'm going to go through a list of headlines here, stories that I hope to cover, stories that I think make good listening and or stories that uh, perhaps uh, you want to pick up on, or maybe you want to bring up something entirely new. That's happened uh, more than once on this uh, program, where we prepare a bunch of uh, items to uh, talk about, then all of a sudden somebody comes up with a real good one, and a whole bunch of people want to talk about that. You can get on the program by calling 356 9397 and a cooling uh, castle, I should say, the castle heating and a cooling text line is 3515357. So it's a two hours of open line today. Tomorrow on the show, we'll have an open line at 9 o'clock. And then at 10 o'clock, we'll visit with Kent Brown and Barry Hauser, our Illini Friday program. And a special uh, guest uh, tomorrow will be Mike Pearson. Mike has a uh, a new book out, Illini Legends, Lists, and Lore. And this is the third edition of this book. And it is uh, marvelous. It's uh, really uh, something that will uh, give you lots of reading throughout this cold, cold winter coming up. Dana Howard says, Mike Pearson's book is one that every Illini should have on their shelf. It's a book you can turn to at any page and learn something that you never knew before. Nancy Thies Marshall, a 1972 Olympian, says, Mike Pearson's anthology reminds me of what an honor it is to have represented the University of Illinois in the athletic arena. Every time I pick up my copy, I discover another golden nugget about some moment in the storied Illini history, and I'm humbled to be one character in a well-documented narrative spanning 130 years. The legends, lists, and lore bring depth and color to the rich heritage found in every sport on campus. And each page invites me to celebrate the athletes, the coaches, the administrators, the faculty, the fans, the community members who made up this diverse, multi-generational family known as the Fighting Illini. And uh, Lauren Tate says, only Mike Pearson, with his background and love for the university, could have imparted such depth and detail to the Illini story. It offers great insights beginning in the 19th century, carrying through George Huff and Avery Brundage to the modern era with accompanying 
references to the university and to the nation. Just a fantastic book put out by the University of Illinois uh, Press, forward in the book by Josh Whitman. I had the great pleasure of uh, writing uh, either the forward or the, the, the closing part, I can't remember now, of the the first Illini Legends list and lore. But uh, Mike has done a, a great job. This is a very, very, very big book, and we'll talk to him about it tomorrow. For us today is concerned, uh, Hurricane Irma is, of course, the uh, big story. And we'll, uh, if we get news of bulletins in as we go along, we'll put those on the air, of course. If CBS does anything uh, special, we'll carry that. And, of course, during the newscasts, we'll get the latest from the network and from the various wire services that we look at. Hillary takes some blame, but lashes out in a new book. Howard Kurtz, writing for Fox News, says, Does it still matter? And listen to this uh, survey. White Christians in the United States are shifting from majority to minority. I shouldn't say are shifting. They have shifted from majority to minority. That's according to this survey. We'll talk more about that, of course, as we go along. Dennis Rodman says he could help Kim Jong-un change his mind. After all, they once sang karaoke together. Got a caller that, uh, or somebody that sends a text, I can't remember which, that says, we need to send Dennis Rodman over there again. So, I don't think the uh, the uh, State Department or anybody else is going to send him over there, but uh, he might wind up over there. You never know. That's quite a pair, Dennis Rodman and Kim Jong-un. Leslie Van Houten, you remember that name? She has been granted parole. She was one of the followers of Charles Manson. In fact, she was the youngest of all the followers of Charles Manson. Tell you about that story as we go along this morning. You think President Trump has problems? German Chancellor Angela Merkel was hit with a tomato during a campaign rally in Germany. And some local stories. Hundreds uh, will be affected here with the phase-out of DACA, according to a story in the News Gazette this morning. Marcus Jackson writes that the band didn't play the war chant last Saturday, but plenty of students continued the tradition of clapping their hands over their heads when Ball State's offense was facing third down. Seventeen Illinois lawmakers ask justices to, quote, repair redistricting in Illinois. Two more letters in the from our readers section of the paper about the U of I experience, as they say, being ruined by the administration making poor decisions. And the Gazette editorial claims are just no good options against North Korea. Four uh, American women will play tonight in the semifinals of the U.S. Open tennis tournament.
Former Illini Kevin Anderson plays tomorrow night in the men's semifinals. The feature match there will be Rafael Nadal and Juan Martin Del Potro, a winner last night over Roger Federer. And uh, nobody can forget, I'm sure, on Friday, former Illini volleyball coach Kevin Hambly brings the defending national champion Stanford team to Huff to face his former Illini team, which has gone 6-0 and to open the season under the new coach, Chris Thomas. So those are just some of the things that uh, I want to talk about today in more detail than that. Maybe uh, you would like to pick up on those as we go along. Or when we say the phone lines are open, that's what we mean. They are open for you at 356-9397. The text line is 3515357. We look for dialogue on this program. We say this is the time for you to talk back to us, and it is. So if you have something to say about uh, something going on here at this uh, radio station, or if uh, you have something to say about things going on in other parts of the world, that's okay with me. A question, comment, whatever. We'll take our first break right here and come back and see who's going to be first. This is Penny for Your Thoughts. I'm Jim Turpin. The phone line's open. 356-9397. So nobody is first so far. When I read uh, from uh, various uh, stories uh, from The Wire, I always like to uh, tell you where they uh, came from. So that's uh, what I'm doing here before I read this story to you. The headline is, Hillary Takes Some Blame, Lashes Out in a New Book, Does It Still Matter? The author of this is Howard Kurtz, and he writes for Fox News. Now, if it was uh, CNN, we had to tell you that, because it's important uh, where these uh, stories come from and the, the slants that they uh, give them. Anyway, uh, Kurt says, Hillary Clinton, who seems to point fingers at just about everyone else for her election loss, is now taking some of the blame herself. But she still has plenty to spread around. Her targets include Bernie Sanders, James Comey, the New York Times. She even takes a swipe at Joe Biden. All this is based on her forthcoming book, What Happened? The notion of the book itself is a bit strange. I can't think of another example of a losing presidential candidate coming out with a campaign book less than a year after the election. Of course, Hillary has been a celebrity since her days as First Lady, and she did win the popular vote. Maybe she feels compelled to explain to her supporters how she blew the election against Donald Trump. She writes, I go back over my own shortcomings and the mistakes we made. I take responsibility for all of them. You can blame the data, blame the message, blame anything you want, but I was the candidate. It was my campaign. 
Those were my decisions. Bingo, is what he writes. And Clinton admits she missed the moment I was running a traditional presidential campaign with carefully thought-out policies and painstakingly built coalitions while Trump was running a reality TV show that expertly and relentlessly stoked America's anger and resentment. Based on the CNN report, I guess CNN got a copy of this book first, Clinton neatly ticks off some of her mistakes, delivering paid speeches to Wall Street banks, bad optics, using a private email server while at the State Department, dumb. You may recall it took many weeks for her to admit that even that was a mistake. And in the book, she slams the times which broke the story for the way it covered her email scandal. Clinton unloads on Sanders, saying that because they had a few policy differences, he had to resort to innuendo and impugning my character. She says Bernie caused her campaign lasting damage and paved the way for Trump assailing her as crooked. But wait a minute. Don't we all remember Sanders saying he didn't give a damn about her emails? A more ruthless opponent would have hammered her day and night. She had trouble beating a gadfly senator who wasn't even a Democrat. Biden has been saying that Clinton didn't focus enough on the middle class. So she says this about the former vice president. I find this fairly remarkable considering that Joe himself campaigned for me all over the Midwest and talked plenty about the middle class. But she was the candidate who didn't bother to campaign in Wisconsin, and Biden was just a surrogate. Clinton reprises her criticism of Comey as a rash FBI director whose last-minute reopening of the email probe may have cost her the election. There's some candid uh, passages about her husband, whose affair with Monica Lewinsky essentially helped launch her Senate candidacy. Hillary says she knows many people assume her union with Bill is just on paper. She writes, There were times that I was deeply unsure about whether our marriage could or should survive. But on those days, I ask myself the questions that matter to me. Do you still love him? And can I still be in this marriage without becoming unrecognizable to myself, twisted by anger, resentment, or remoteness? Remoteness. The answers were always yes. Finally, there's a bit of soul-searching. What makes me such a lightning rod for fury? I'm really asking. I'm at a loss. Her conclusion I think it's partly because I'm a woman. Critics will undoubtedly accuse her of playing the sexism card, but a better candidate might have overcome the skepticism of some voters. And the Kurtz uh, winds up by saying, Does any of this matter now? Hillary Clinton's political career is over. 
She's not the person to galvanize the Democratic resistance to Trump as the party searches for younger leaders. So at this point, she's writing for history and perhaps therapy. Howard Kurtz is a Fox News analyst, the host of Media Buzz on Sundays, the author of five books based in Washington. And that's his uh, opinion after getting a copy of Hillary's book. Anybody going to go out and buy one of those? I bet some of you will. I'd like to have one myself. I don't know if I want to plunk down $28 or whatever it is for the book, but it would be fun to... uh, to go through and see what else she had to say. 924, 60 degrees at the Radio Center. We take a break. We're coming right back. And a uh, text comes in from uh, Bill who says, at least Trump was dealing with reality. What a loser Clinton is. We're at 356 Speaking of uh, Donald Trump, the Trumps are donating a million dollars to 12 organizations for Harvey Relief. Uh, President Trump and his wife Melania are donating a total of one million to 12 organizations involved in Hurricane Harvey Relief efforts, including $300,000 each to the American Red Cross and the Salvation Army. Some of the other organizations getting part of the total donation are Reach Out America, Samaritan's Purse, Operation Blessing, and the Team Rubicon. The White House first announced last week that Trump would be making a $1 million donation from his personal funds. And the Washington National Cathedral will remove two stained glass windows that honor Confederate Generals Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson. The public letter out yesterday, said the decision came after two years of debate, calling the windows installed in 1953 more than benign historical markers. They explained, for many of God's children, they are an obstacle to worship in a sacred space. For some of these and other Confederate memorials serve as lampposts along a path that leads back to racial oppression. It's not clear what will replace the windows? And uh, Debbie is uh, on the line. Hello, Debbie. Hello there, Jim. Good morning. How are you today? I am good, Debbie. What's going on? Uh, well, I'm calling in regards to the DACA. Uh, everybody's trying to blame Trump and the uh, government and everything. We need to put the blame on the parents of these dreamers. They came here illegally. Lots of people have come here legally, and why didn't they do the same? So instead of blaming everybody else, these children need to look their parents in the eye and say, why did you do this to me? So uh, you, you think it would have been, uh, why they did it was uh, they tried to get out of the situation they were in into a, to a better situation here in this I, country. I understand. But there are legal ways of doing it, and they didn't do it legally. If mm-hmm. they did it legally, they wouldn't be having this problem. That's uh, that is correct. <laughs> that's a that's a <laughs> that, good statement. That's what I'm mm-hmm. I understand why they came here, a better life and such. But we've had millions of people come to the United States 
through the legal system, and and they have no problem. If these people, after all these years, they could have done something legally or started out doing it legally, they wouldn't be having this problem. The blame is on the shoulders of the parents that did this to them. And they need to look them in the eye and say, why didn't you do it legally? Why are you putting me under this cloud now? According to uh, Julie, Julie Worth's uh, story in the paper the, this morning, they talk about that hundreds uh, here will be affected uh, by this decision. Uh, right, right. And I, I know that. And, and I, my heart goes out to the children who had no um, say in the matter. But, again, they're blaming the government and the president, and it's not them. It was the parents who brought them here in the first place. And that's all I really wanted to say. Okay, well, thank you, Debbie. Appreciate your call. Back to some other callers. Uh, Please hold on. We're going to break now for the news headlines with uh, Brian Barnhart here at 930. And uh, come right back and continue with our open line on Penny. So those of us that uh, follow both uh, volleyball and uh, tennis have a dilemma on uh, tomorrow night because uh, at about the same time, the volleyball match is going on between Illinois and uh, Stanford. Kevin Anderson will be playing in the semifinals of the Open Tennis Tournament. But you can always tape that. It's a it's a remarkable thing, Ed. It's, uh, it's kind of new, you know. You, you don't have to watch everything live. You can actually tape things. Uh, let's go to Ben. He's been holding on during the news there. Hello, Ben. Hello. Thanks for having me, Jim. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm calling in response to the uh, the previous caller who um, was discussing DACA and, and uh, saying that she doesn't understand why, why folks are uh, blaming President Trump when we should really be blaming the parents for, uh, for, for bringing these people here. Uh, and I think she's under the misapprehension that 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 the blame is being assessed for for the same thing when it's not. No one disputes that the parents have the responsibility for bringing their children here many years ago. What people are frustrated with Donald Trump and with the Republicans for is that with the situation that exists on the ground where we have hundreds of thousands of people here who were brought here as children who have grown up in America, this is the only country they've ever known they've ever known. We need to make a policy decision about whether we integrate those people into American society or whether we send them off to a country they've never known. So it, it, to, to, to play this blame game that your, the previous caller, Debbie, was talking about, it's, it's a useless exercise. Um, it's a useless exercise to be pointing fingers about, well, should they have been brought or should they not have been brought? Who cares? The fact is they are here now, and so we need to decide as a society whether we are going to integrate these folks who have already been integrating in our society for however many years, whether we're fully going to welcome them into the fold or whether we're going to do a cruel thing and send them off to a country where they might not speak the language, they might, they've, they've never been. Um, that, is where, that is where we can start to play a blame game about who's making a good decision or a bad decision because we need to look at this looking forward, not looking back and saying, oh, well, you know, 12 years ago parents brought their kids here, and so we're going we're gonna to play a blame game with them without actually making a policy decision. That's just, it's a foolish exercise to engage in. Well, President uh, Trump uh, says that uh, he, he wants uh, a decision made on what to do, but he wants the, uh, general, uh, the uh, Congress to make it and, uh, and not uh, have it uh, being a, uh, something that is made by uh, 
uh, such as the decision that was made by President Obama. You know, I, I think I think that's reasonable. I mean, certainly the president is very good about handing responsibility over to others. I do think this is an area no, where Congress no, could no. act. That's it, just because that's the way that it should be done, don't you think? Oh, I, I think in this particular case, it, it should be done. Now, of course, a president has the opportunity to lead on this. Um, president Obama and the Democrats during Obama's term in office did try and take a legislative lead on this. The DREAM Act has been sponsored by Senator Durbin from this state for many years. There have been uh, legislative solutions in front of Congress to to reach a congressional solution where we uh, where we accommodate these uh, these folks who were brought here as children. The Republicans have been steadfast in refusing a congressional action. Now that they have unified control of government, I would love to see them finally take a legislative action because their their obstructionist tactics from the past years. They just dug in their heels without actually thinking about the human cost. Now they have to deal with the human cost. I'm absolutely in favor of tossing it back to Congress. I hope the Republicans actually start to take a, uh, a policy-minded approach to this as opposed to just a, uh, a political approach where they've been uh, uh, obstructing uh, a legislative action just purely for electoral gains. No, yeah, well, I don't uh, have much, I don't know about you, but I don't have much faith if they, they couldn't do it before, that they, why suddenly they would do it now. I, I agree. I think I think the the Republicans have gotten very good about winning elections and very bad about actually governing. I think there's very little interest on the Republican side of the aisle about actually legislating, about actually solving problems. There's more interest in uh, in selling snake oil to people and and winning elections. And and now that they're actually in power, they're realizing uh, how much their legislative and governance skills have atrophied. I appreciate your call, Ben. Uh, thank you so much. We're at three five six nine three nine seven. Our text line is 3515357. And a text from Bobby says, Jim, if you remember several years back, we had six months of kids being flown, bussed, and train cars full of kids being brought into the USA from Mexico and South America. We were told they were in danger in their country, and parents were staying back to deal with things. Well, these so-called kids make up a lot of the DACA kids who were never going to go back and were purposely placed all over the country. Charlie is in Louisiana. Hello, Charlie. Good morning, Jim. I just wanted to ask a question of the last caller. Um, What part of the Constitution he doesn't... uh, like apparently the the part that says that Congress shall establish immigration law. Well, that's right, uh, and he uh, he didn't uh, he didn't uh, he didn't seem to want to want to uh, to understand what uh, the president is uh, saying now that he uh, whether it's late in coming or whatever. Exactly. The fact of the fact of the matter remains. That this, uh, you know, it could, all this has been going on under the uh, the edict handed down by President Obama might have uh, very well been unconstitutional. Oh yeah, I mean, as an EO, as an executive order, it, that was not his purview at all, and so he created this nemesis that we're dealing with now. Uh, my wife and I are all for DACA, but we are all for it in a legislative manner, the way it should have been done in the first place. 
And, you know, again, this finger points at a Congress that does not know how to do its job. Yeah, the... uh Sadly. The rating uh, for the Congress, their approval rating is uh, rock bottom and has been yeah. for quite a while. Does it even have two digits anymore? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you have an excellent day. I appreciate the call, uh, Charlie. Uh, thank you. Chuck is next. Hi, Chuck. Hey, um, I have an opinion on uh, DACA that I think, and, and it's very serious. Uh, you know, I hear that. Uh, uh, these people are educated, and they've uh, some of them, and they've got good jobs, and they've represented themselves well in this country. And uh, why not uh, let them have that influence on Mexico? Now, I don't know a lot about Mexico. I've never done any study of Mexico, but I I have a feeling that maybe people like that could help M- Mexico. So why don't we stick with the law? and send them back to improve their country. Uh, and, and everybody would, uh, maybe everybody would gain from it. Well, it's uh, hard to know. The uh, fact that this sticks out is that they are here illegally. Right. And uh, whatever they have uh, done and all that they have accomplished, etc., cetera, uh, doesn't uh, trump that fact uh, does it? I shouldn't use the word Trump anymore because he is the president. Right. Uh, but uh, uh, they are here illegally, and uh, there should be, uh, you know, maybe it's, uh, I hope that the uh, Congress is able to come up with something that will recognize what uh, some of these uh, people have uh, done since they were brought over here by their parents and all the uh, the great uh, work that they've done, the education that they've gotten themselves, the good jobs that they've gotten them, uh, that uh, is okay to, to be rewarded, but it needs to be within the Constitution of the United States. And it's the, and it's the duty of Congress to make those decisions or, or, or uh, enforce that law or change the law, whatever is necessary, uh, to address this issue, uh, there's no. I, I think there's no question about that. That is right. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate the call, sir. Let's go to uh, Susan. Hello, Susan. Good morning, Susan. All of us, all of us, to realize um, when the immigration process occurs, there are tests and, and studies uh, of the Constitution and all the laws of the government and how. Our government is supposed to be respected. Respected, And when you couple, couple that with the fact that a lot of these dreamers are only going on mainly what they hear, they don't really know all of this stuff that they would learn in the process, I think it's causing confusion among them. They think they have rights, and in a way they do a little bit right now because of DACA, but once they go through the process and they actually become aware of how America works, and respect for the government process, it, it makes a difference. And I think if they could come up with something that would give those kids that, it might, you know. These uh, kids take aren't a uh, kids aren't kids anymore. Well, I know they're not kids, but it isn't their fault that they didn't get to go through the immigration process. It is the fault of the parents. And the respect for the government and the laws and the rules of our country is what's missing. And somehow, I think, 
if they could get that, it, it would help. Now, do I agree with how all this happened? I don't. Do I agree that they need to go through the process and become citizens like everybody else who did that does? Yes, I do. Um, but I think we all ought to realize that they haven't been brought up. They have not been told all about the Constitution and all about the laws of our country and how to respect our process. And that's what's causing a lot of this anger in them. They really believe they have rights, and technically they don't, and it's unfortunate. Well, they talk about all those that have... uh have uh, grown up and have uh, gone to uh, to school and uh, some have law degrees, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Certainly that portion of them uh, should have some idea of what's in the Constitution. And I think they do. I think they're, you know, all in one basket right now, but I really doubt that in the, in the total number of all the people that are in this position, I don't think you have a lot of lawyers and a lot of things. That, you know, the constitutional law that we learn in the eighth grade in order to graduate, and the Constitution uh, process that we learn in high school in order to graduate doesn't hold a candle to what these people are going to learn when they go through the proper immigration process and the, and the education part of that. They and, were, if they, if they <laughs> knew what the, the deal was, and they decided that, well, maybe I should try to become a citizen, that the reason they, I think that some of them didn't do that was they were afraid that if they uh, said, hey, I'm illegal, I want to become legal, well, if you're illegal, we're sending you back. I agree with you 100%. I think that's another part of the link that's caused a lot of this problem. And many of them, let's agree, many of them are protecting their parents. You know, now the parents, they knew what they were doing when they crossed that border. These children did not know what they were doing. Yep, uh, very um, well put, I blame uh, the parents for a lot of this. Yeah, well, th- thank you, uh, Susan. The story this morning by Julie Worth talking about the hundreds that will be affected uh, around uh, here. Um, there's a quote here from, let's see, his name is Maldonado. Uh, Maldonado and uh, Diaz and uh, Lucia Maldonado, Latino family, liaison for the Urbana School District, estimated that several hundred students in Champaign-Urbana would be affected by the change, most of them in high school or in college. Most of them were brought here by their parents. Most of them didn't have anything to do with the decision and uh, Maldonado says he was uh, crushed by the DACA decision. That, uh, I'm sorry, that's a, uh, her name is uh, Lucia. She knows of one young woman with a serious health condition who can only afford her medicine because she has a full-time job with health benefits. Diaz said that many DACA recipients across the country are working or already have college degrees, accountants, engineers, lawyers, and the like. They're chameleons. They grew up here. Many of them didn't know they were undocumented. Under DACA, they could get driver's licenses and jobs and didn't have to worry about being deported. Their parents must be feeling horrible 
knowing that for a few years they saw their kids having all these opportunities and following their dreams and going to school without being afraid, and now everything is going to be taken back, and they're going to have to go back to being undocumented. It really took a lot of courage for these kids and their parents to bring the kids out of the shadows and turn over all the information to the government. If the government really wanted to go get them, they have everything they need to do so. They know who they are. They know what they are doing. It is 9.50. We take a break here. We're coming back to the phones, so hold on. We're back on Penny for Your Thoughts. I'm Jim Turpin. We're taking your calls. Uh, Joyce is next. Good morning, Joyce. I I haven't heard your whole program this morning. Well, shame on you. <laughs> well, I've been busy. Um, there's a lot of blame to go around. Everybody seems to be wanting to blame Trump and the parents, but the blame goes back many years over several administrations. Uh, why hasn't our government enforced our immigration laws? And what about the companies that hire the illegals? Uh, you know, they are not held to account. You know, they're getting cheap labor. They're getting uh, labor where they don't have to pay the benefits and whatever that, uh, that U.S. citizens need and demand. Uh, our people are out of work because so many jobs have gone to illegals. Uh, it has really damaged our economy from that aspect. Uh, you know, there's, like I said, there's a lot of blame to go around, and I'm not hearing much about that. And Trump is not my favorite person in the whole wide world, but at least he's trying to do something to fix this. Where has Congress been all of these decades, allowing all of these illegals to come in and not you know, and not funding the Department of Immigration so that so that this problem can be taken care of. What about all the corporate welfare, allowing all these companies to hire the illegals? Uh, you know, that's just corporate welfare. They're just they're greasing the palms of the people that that support their campaigns. Uh, you know, there's just really something sad about that. You know, this situation is not the parents, and it's not Trump. It it goes back way, way before them. What do you think? Uh, you know, uh, I, what do you I, think we should do with the companies that hire these illegals? You know, I think somebody needs to start enforcing our immigration laws, and that includes holding these companies responsible when they hire these illegals. You know, some companies actually ship in illegals to to work. That that's been in the news over the years. I think Tyson Foods was one of the big ones. Uh, you know, well, there's, I, I there's understand other... that, but my my question is, uh, now that it's happened, uh, what what should we do to the companies? That's up to our legislature to get off of their lazy duffs and start. Start exercising some integrity and honesty and quit giving corporate welfare to these big companies and start enforcing our immigration laws. 
you know, it's up to them whatever kind of enforcement or punishment or whatever. Uh, you know, I mean, that, that, I, that's not my decision. I'm not a legislator. Lucky for you. Know, you. And, and in our, our, our judicial system, our Department of Immigration, you know, the, the Immigration and Naturalization Service has been grossly underfunded. And, and you got to blame Congress for that. They're the ones that, that, uh, allocate the funds. Okay. Uh, thank you, uh, Joyce. Appreciate uh, your call. Uh, Jim is next. Hi, Jim. Hello, Hello Jim. Yeah. Hey, uh, Jim. My wife and I were just talking about this, uh, DACA, and, uh, we, we both feel that, you know, you got to treat humans the way you want to be treated. And uh, it's a really complicated issue, but a simple start to the solution might be that anybody that already has a high school diploma or an equivalent, you know, a GED that's been through the DACA process, maybe they should be given their citizenship. And then maybe those that are in middle school, you know, be allowed to continue or something and the rest sent back or, or go through the the immigration process like they're supposed to. Well, that'll be up to the uh, Congress, and hopefully they'll come up with a a system that uh, will have some uh, fairness uh, to it. But uh, my uh, fear is that they'll argue about it and the end of the six-month period uh, that uh, the President uh, Trump has, uh, has uh, given them, that uh, nothing will have happened. Well, that's, that's definitely a possibility, but... Well, I mean, I guess, we, we've gone all these uh, years before and uh, didn't do anything about this. Yeah. Well, I just uh, I just want to throw that idea out there in case somebody's looking for ideas and uh, maybe get the ball rolling and, and put an end to all this controversy and just yeah, I don't do think they uh, I don't think they should wind up with uh, something that, that treats them uh, all alike. There should be uh, some uh, fairness in, uh, involved here and. Uh, We'll have to wait and see. Listen, I'm hitting the news, but uh, thanks for your call here on DWS in Champaign-Urbana. To have a penny of your thoughts, I'm Jim Turpin. We're at 356-9397. The Castle Heating and Cooling text line is 351-5357. And we go back to the phones for Stan. Hello, Stan. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. Uh, I have a couple of points to make. Uh, the first one is, uh, you've had a lot of callers say how unconstitutional DACA is. Can you tell me which article of the Constitution talks about immigration in general? No, I don't know. There isn't one. It's, it's not in the Constitution. The only thing that's in the Constitution about immigration is that you cannot have a president born in Canada. <laughs> you can't have a president born in Canada. Now, the second point is, uh, the Republicans, the conservatives, the whatever you want to call them, have always used immigration as a divisive uh, factor in American culture. Uh, Jim Sessions, you know what eugenics is, don't you? Don't keep asking me questions and make your point, though, will you, Stan? I'm sorry. Um, Sessions, in his uh, decision to end DACA the other day, uh, which Trump immediately rescinded, uh, said in part that he wanted to go back to the types of immigration laws we had back in 1924. 
1924 immigration law was based on eugenics. Eugenics is the uh, process of dividing people up by their heritage uh, to assign uh, characteristics to how well they work or what they can do or what they can't do. Uh, you know, blacks can't swim. Uh, but back in 1924, it was believed that the worst of the worst were Asians. We couldn't immigrate any Asians. And today, the Asians are the ones that are doing the most to give us the technology revolution that we have. And yet you've got the divisive Republicans, the divisive conservatives, ginning people up over DACA. And DACA itself is a self-limiting program. When it was put into, into uh, place in 2012, it was limited to people who were over, a, under, excuse me, under age 16 and arrived in the United States prior to 2007. So you, and that hasn't been changed. So eventually there will be no people that qualify, uh, for, uh, DACA because you had to have been in the United States by June of 2007. You had to have been under age 16 and you had to have been brought here as a child. If they just leave the thing alone and let people, uh, do their jobs, of the less than 800,000 DACA uh, recipients, if you will, 5% of those are business owners. And if we really want jobs in this country, by doing away with that 40,000 jobs, job entrepreneurs, we will lose about 300,000 jobs. So you think that uh, we should uh, just let uh, illegals uh, stay in this country for as long as they want because they uh, came in here at a time before we start talking about this? I think that the DACA program is a very good program. Of the less than 800,000 people, we know of zero people that have committed a felony because every two years now, they wait, have wait, to wait, have... Wait, 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 wait a minute. 800,000 people and there hadn't been one felony? Where'd you get that number? You you can you can check me out, Jim. I'd like Uh, to. You can go to Google. You go to Google and check it out. Of the eight hundred, every two years they have to reapply, and if they have a felony on their conviction on on their uh, um, background check, they lose their DACA uh, protection, and they can be deported. Don't you think the the, Don't you think the the uh, General Assembly, or not the General Assembly, but the Congress uh, should uh, uh, get to work and uh, and straighten this out and uh, make a law because it belongs uh, with them, does it not, uh, as opposed to the executive branch? Well, except for the problem that in 2012, Congress had been working on a law for 15 years. Well, I understand they, that. Uh, we, we've been well, over Well, they're not that, doing anything. That, that they haven't done anything, and I, I said before, I... I'm skeptical that they'll do anything this time. But, well, I don't uh, think they will. The Republicans won't allow it. But uh, don't you think uh, that is where it belongs? That's where the, if there is uh, a law to be made or rules to be made, that it should be made, needs to be made by that branch of the government. If your child under age 16 uh, damages property of your neighbor, 
who is ultimately responsible? I'm sorry, I'm asking you a question. Well, I'll answer you, the you question are, for you. Of course, the, uh, you the are ultimately. If, the if, they're, if they're not of age, yes, you are. And that's exactly what this law recognizes. If you're under age 16, you are not subject to certain laws. Your parents have to be. And if your parents brought you here illegally, then that's on them. It's not on you. Okay. Thank you, Stan. Appreciate your call. We'll go to uh, Jim. Hello, Jim. Hello. I won't question you to death there, Jim. I'd like to make a couple points about the DACA. Okay. I, uh, I, I think what they should do is all those that are here over 18 ought to go through some structured program for citizenship. But if they're under 18, then they should be deported. I don't understand how, if there's 800,000 of them here with not a single felony, yeah. how, in the, how in the world can the people that brought them here illegally, what, what jobs have those people held for 16, 18 years? You know, what employer has uh, employed these illegal people for that many years without any consequence whatsoever? It, it, it just astounds me how... Uh, People can overlook and be rewarded for defying and breaking the law. There has to be some kind of consequence for breaking laws. Else, you know, why do we have the laws? It's ridiculous. That's the uh, that's the whole point, as far as uh, I'm concerned, that the these people are here illegally, and uh, they have been, and uh-huh. uh, maybe it's uh, maybe for the the bulk of them, it's uh, the, exactly the right thing that. Uh, that they've done a good job. They've gone to school. They've uh-huh. got a. They've got a uh-huh. job. They're paying taxes, et cetera, right. et cetera. Now the uh, legislative branch of the uh, government needs to uh, spell this out. Right. These these are our immigration laws. Right. Exactly. And 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 uh, another point I like to make is just on the general immigration problem. Uh, you look here around uh, Champaign County, and. Uh, I work with a lot of construction people, and I can't. You, you would not believe how many illegal workers we have just here in Champaign County. It, it's phenomenal. The painters, the roofers, uh, concrete workers, construction, gardeners, uh, all these jobs. I mean, it's just, it, it's a shock. It really is, and there's not a single thing done about it. All right. Appreciate your call, sir. 1017, it's uh, 63 degrees, another chilly morning. The uh, Rasmussen reports uh, on the daily presidential tracking poll for today shows that 45% of likely U.S. voters approve of President Trump's job performance. 54% disapprove. So those numbers, don't remember the last ones exactly, but uh, they are going up. And uh, Roger is next. Hi, Roger. Hello. I I was kind of thinking about this immigration deal, too. I think what they need to do is uh, send the ones back that haven't learned English yet. And I'm talking about five and six years old, that age. And then the rest of them, as they, as they grow up, the more they learn English and stuff, then they have to make up their mind whether they want to be a United States citizen or they want to be a Mexican citizen. If they want to be a Mexican citizen, send them back to Mexico. 
if uh, you know, but I can't see sending these kids that have been over here all their lives and they don't know nothing but English. I can't see sending them back to Mexico. They're more American than they are Mexican. Yeah, well, they're the word is illegal. They are illegal. Yep, they we are gotta, illegal. We got to do something about that. Appreciate the call. Uh, JB says Stan must be calling from a mental home somewhere. The guy completely distorts the facts consistently. We we'll go to a Jim. Hello, Jim. Good morning, Jim. How are you today? I am good. What's going on, Jim? Oh, not much. Beautiful day out, and uh, I'd, I'd like to kind of touch on this current subject, too. Um, there's a couple things. President Obama has been on, uh, ca- captured on film, seven different incidents, uh, oh, six, seven years ago where he was speaking about this very thing he's like yeah folks keep coming to me and you know telling me i need to do something about it but he says i can't lawfully do that and i'm paraphrasing but it's very close to his own words and and uh, he was caught six or seven times uh saying that you know i, I want to do something about it but it is not legal for me to do that it's not in my ability to do that without congress then he did, then he went ahead and did it, and then he did it. Well, I think, and and Trump's getting piled on for every darn thing on the face of the earth right at the moment by anybody that doesn't like him. It's and I've never seen anything quite like it. And I'm not a huge Trump fan either, but I legitimately think, in my humble opinion, the gentleman is trying to help straighten this out. I do think he has compassion for these folks, and I do believe that by saying, we're going to extend this six more months and hand it to the legislatures and give them an opportunity to address this once and for all. And my personal belief is there's about an 85% chance he's going to say, or they're going to decide, these folks can stay. They've been here long enough. They've this, they've that. We're going to legalize them. We're going to put them in. I'm not going to say one way or the other whether that's what I would like to see done. But I do think... He's given them a chance to straighten this out and make it law. And that's, he gets a gold star for that in my book. Yep. At uh, least he's trying to address it. That's a good idea. And I uh, give them a six months. And, uh, you know, six months uh, is uh, like a second to the, uh, to the members of Congress. That's not enough time to do anything. The snail's pace. And but we <laughs> do need to address illegals coming in from this point forward and that may include being a wall but we just can't things have to be done lawfully if they want to be here that bad then they'll have to just go through it maybe make it a little easier for them to come here legally and not take eight or ten years or whatever but all right appreciate it jim thank you and uh, Lou says, uh, good morning, Jim. Once again, I began station surfing while you tolerated Stan's call. Good grief, is there anyone who is both more smug and sure of themselves and actually so completely full of baloney? I find that highly unlikely. Have a great day. 10.22, a break here, Mr. Bond. We're coming right back. And uh, tomorrow on the Penny, we'll have an open line at uh, 9 o'clock. And then at uh, 10, 
We'll visit with uh, Ken Brown uh, and uh, Kent Brown and uh, Barry Hauser, as uh, we usually do on our Illini Friday program before Illinois home football games. And tomorrow at uh, 10.30, after we talk to those two gents, we'll visit with uh, Mike Pearson and talk about uh, Mike's new book called Illini Legends, Lists, and Lore. This is the third edition of this uh, book. I was going to look and see how many pages it had in it because it's so heavy I can barely lift it. If you hear me yell, Ed, it's because I dropped this on my toe. It's, uh, well, he's got a lot of, uh, I don't know if he's got these, 400 and, about 470 pages. Almost 500 pages in this book. It's all about the Illini. How, how can you... I'm not trying to sell the book uh, for him, but how those of you that uh, don't have one of the uh, first two editions, you definitely ought to get this one. But uh, Dion Thomas says, Mike uh, Pearson's Illini Legends Listen Lore is a great addition to the library of every fighting Illini alum and fan alike. Mike's insight and attention to detail is unparalleled, a true Illini historic treasure. This is one of uh, three books that the... Uh, University of Illinois Press has a put out during the subsequent centennial celebration of the University of Illinois. And uh, I will have had uh, two of the authors on. I had Lex Tate on about her uh, book, which has to do with the building of the, uh, of the uh, university. And uh, now uh, Mike Pearson. And we'll get the uh, third gen on one of these days as well. Well, let's see uh, what else is going on here. I told you about uh, uh, Leslie Van Houten, but she was a former Charles Manson follower, and uh, she was involved in the August 1969 murder of uh, Lino and uh, Rosemary La Bianca. was recommended for parole yesterday by a California state panel that found that she's radically changed her life during her more than four decades in prison and is no longer a threat to society. However, the ruling must be approved by the state parole board and by Governor Jerry Brown. Jerry Brown rejected Van Houten's recommended parole last year. Relatives of the LaBiancas spoke emotionally at the hearing yesterday as they ask that the 68-year-old not be granted parole. No one who took part in the Manson murders of the LaBiancas or of actress Sharon Tate and four other people the night before has been released from prison. None have been. And a JetBlue, American, and a Delta have capped the ticket prices ahead of Hurricane Irma JetBlue, American Airlines, Delta capping the ticket prices so that the Floridians can evacuate before Hurricane Irma strikes land. JetBlue will cap flights out of Florida at $99 and $159 if you have a getting a connecting flight. Americans said it will also cap its airfares while Delta has promised to waive fees and increase the number of flights out of Florida. Price caps were a welcome development for travelers facing $1,000 flights 
to get to safety. 1030, 66 degrees. Brian Barner has the news headlines. Back after that. We're back on uh, Penny of Your Thoughts. I'm Jim Turpin. We're joined on the phone by uh, Jane Deleuze. Uh, Jane is the president and CEO of a Visit to Champaign County. Good morning, Jane. Good morning, Jim. How are you today? I am good. I understand that uh, you have some visitors in town and uh, very important people. And uh, and uh, why are they here? And uh, tell us all about that. I will. Well, we are hosting a celebration on Saturday the 9th, September 9th. And this is in recognition of Champaign-Urbana being named as Midwest Living's, the magazine, Greatest Midwest Food Town. And it's a huge um, celebration of our community and the local foods and other culinary tourism that we have here. And they're coming in tomorrow, so it'll be the publisher, it'll be the travel and features editor and the staff from both New York and Chicago. And on Saturday, we will be at three pop-up events around the area to showcase um, this celebration and kind of what this, what this is about. And to, just to back up for a second, what happened in May, Midwest Living announced a curated list of the 12 most delicious food towns in Champaign-Urbana with the cities that were representative of Illinois. So we competed. This wasn't just in Illinois. We competed against Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Michigan. I mean, it was it was a big deal. And so we dueled it out by online voting, and Champaign-Urbana came out the winner. And so in, if anyone who's out there is one of the 3 million subscribers to Midwest Living, they will see a feature about um, the 12 cities with the feature of us winning in this issue, in the September-October issue, and then the January-February issue will be a recap of the event on Saturday. So that's how we got to this point, and it's a huge, huge honor. And then on Saturday, what's going to happen is the Midwest Living staff and us, Visit Champaign County, will be at the market at the square over in Urbana from 9 to 11, there will be local food samples given out. There will be a, a mayoral proclamation by both Urbana's mayor, Diane Marlin, and Champaign's mayor, Deb Frank Finan. Even a cornhole competition between those two mayors, which will be wonderful. There will be entertainment. It will be a lot of fun in conjunction with the market. And then from 1245 to 245, there, that we will, this, this active kind of pop-up event will move to the Blind Pig Brewery Beer Garden in downtown Champaign. And again, with musical entertainment, with samples given away, uh, beer specials from Blind Pig. It will be a great day. The weather's supposed to be awesome. And then to wrap up, the third pop-up event will be at Grange Grove. So we will be right on First Street at the gate where you walk into Grange Grove from 4 to 6, and we will be a part of the um, football festivities before kickoff at 7 o'clock. And it's just, it's just, just, just a great, great honor um, for us to celebrate the culinary tourism, to put Champaign-Urbana on the map, um, the fact that we beat out places, and not that we're competitive, but places like Bloomington, Indiana, Ann Arbor, you know, but who's to all say? Big, all those big town schools. <laughs> Madison, Wisconsin, yeah. I mean, it's it's a huge, huge honor, and to, to be to be recognized as that was, was very well, cool. Are there any... Uh 
food uh, places, uh, restaurants, or otherwise that are mentioned in their uh, magazine, or they just talk about the competition? Yes, they will be um, in the feature. There's actually a picture that is of the Picasso, uh, which is a beautiful picture, and then it does mention some of our local uh, food restaurants. And before anyone will call me and say, I wish this restaurant would have been included, we wish we could have included every locally owned restaurant in the area, but that would be a magazine in itself, which is why we have the visitor's guide. So there's just a few that are featured um, in the Midwest Living Magazine, which copies of those magazines will also be given away at these um, three pop-up events. Um, but it's it's um, the, the people there, like if you go to the market at the square, both um, Cracked, which is the big uh, breakfast place, is going to be giving away vouchers for their food, and Central Illinois Bakehouse and Nitro Cup will be there. Um, Curtis Orchard will be, and Big Grove Tavern will be both at Blind Pig and at Grange Grove. So we're going to be featuring some of them. Oh, and hot, the new Hopscotch Bakery uh, will be um, having samples at Blind Pig as well. So it's it's b- both samples at these places until they run out because we don't know how many people will come. But it will also be a great way that we are um, truly sharing and and representing. Um, the the culinary uh, local culinary scene that we have here in Champaign-Urbana. Well, uh, th- thanks uh, very much. That's a terrific honor, and uh, a lot of people uh, should be honored if uh, they've uh, been picked as uh, as one of the uh, restaurants or eating places or, or whatever. Uh, boy, they're they're sure right about uh, the the quality of uh, places that we have here. You, I read a story one time that uh, there was a guy that is a food writer in uh, New York City, and he visits a different restaurant every day, <laughs> 365 days a oh year. He goes goodness. to a different place. Yeah. This guy's probably pretty heavy, I wouldn't, would guess. <laughs> or he works out afterwards, I guess. <laughs> he might. But uh, it's getting to be uh, like that around here, not to 365, but, boy, you can go to a lot of places. Listen, uh, Jane, i got some other callers on probably some other topics, but what great uh, news and uh, you know it's uh, kind of fun to have a little good news every once in a while it is we, we definitely need good news on a beautiful day we'll take it i appreciate the call thanks okay thank you bye bye right to three five six nine three nine seven it's ten forty one sixty four degrees and uh, karen uh, thanks for waiting you want to talk about daca oh it was worth the wait that was a great call with jane so exciting um Yes, I do. And I can't remember which website I saw this on, but as far as the fact of these DACA people having no felonies, um, because if you have a felony, it disqualifies you, well, the liberal judges are reclassifying felonies to, to be listed as misdemeanors to let people get through the DACA. Ah, so, so that's the way they do it, huh? Yeah, so it's a little, you know, I mean, you can get liberal judges to... You know, do all kinds of stuff. So <laughs> they have their political agenda, and um, they're adjusting as needed. <laughs> well, uh, there must be something because, uh, you know, there's no way that uh, 800,000 of the, uh, where, wherever they are, if they're in uh, one country or a different country, somebody on there is going to commit a felony. In, he, in the United States, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Karen. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Yeah, I'm glad you called. Bye-bye. Brian is next. Hi, Brian. Hi, Jim. Hey, Jim, all of this immigration problem is due to the fact that Congress doesn't want to fix the problem, and they never have wanted to fix the problem. Uh, that's what we've been talking about all morning, Brian. 
Yeah, the Democrats want everyone to come in here for votes, and they want uh, to uh, manage the borders and sponsor illegal sanctuary cities, and if you disagree with them, you're a racist. And the Republicans, uh, they don't want the problem because they get large corporation uh, donors from their large corporations, and it helps re-elected their campaigns immigrants pour in. Brian, I believe we're uh, having trouble with your phone. Is that a cell phone problem, Ed, you think? I don't know. What happened to him? We're at 356-9397. Uh, text line is 3515-357. We take a break here at a 1043 at 64 degrees. It's uh, 1048 here on uh, Penny, and uh, Brian is back. Someone's wrong with your phone, I guess, so Brian, but go ahead. I don't know how much of that you got. Jim, but uh, more more than I deserve. <laughs> Did you know that there were limitations to what how many professionals that uh, could be allowed into the country every year? Professionals. Yeah, people that uh, come here and apply for citizenship uh, legally. And uh, I knew a dentist that wanted to become an American citizen, and he had to wait years and years and years in order to become a citizen. And I think he went back to Canada. But it seems like uh, the Congress is, uh, they uh, they prefer the illegals. I mean, if you come across the, the border, flip across the border, have a baby, the, the baby's an American citizen. That's right. You know, and uh, it seems like uh, our, bi- our big problem is Congress just doesn't want to fix it, and they both have their own agendas, and the American people get the shaft. Okay, thank you, Brian. Here's a story I, I didn't uh, get to uh, this morning other than in the headlines. Very interesting story, though. Uh, white Christians shift from majority to minority in the United States population. That's a new survey. Those Americans who identify as white Christians are now considered to be a minority of the country's population. The number has dipped below 50%, a transformation fueled by immigration and by the growing numbers of people who reject organized religion altogether. This is in a report released uh, Wednesday, yesterday, by the Public Religion Research Institute. While Christians overall remain a large majority in the U.S., nearly 70%, white Christians, once a mainstay of the country's religious life, now comprise only 43% of the population. The change is likely due to several factors, including sharp drops in membership in predominantly white mainline Protestant denominations, such as Presbyterians and Lutherans, an increasing Latino presence in the Roman Catholic Church as some non-Hispanic white Catholics leave and shrinking ranks of white evangelicals. About 17% of Americans now identify as white evangelical compared to 23% a decade ago. Membership in the conservative Southern Baptist Convention, 
that's the largest U.S. Protestant group, dropped to 15.2 million last year. That's its lowest number since 1990. So often, white evangelicals have been pointing in judgment to white mainline groups, saying when you have liberal theology, you decline. This is from Robert Jones, who's the executive of the uh, this organization that we're talking about. I can't find the exact name, uh, the New Orleans uh, Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, Chuck Kelly. And the survey of uh, more than 100,000 people was conducted from January 2016 to January of this year and found that the Protestant majority that shaped the nation's history dropped below 50% sometime around 2008. The poll also includes a more in-depth focus on race and religion. Jones said that the growth among Latino Christians and stability in the numbers of African-American Christians had partly obscured the decline among the white Christians. The survey also found that more than a third of all Republicans say they are white evangelicals, and nearly three-quarters identify as white Christians. By comparison, in the Democratic Party, white Christians have become a minority, shrinking from 50% a decade ago to 29% currently. So, some interesting uh, numbers to uh, think about. To 1053, 66 degrees. Professor Stephen Kaufman is speaking to the Illinois Board of Trustees. Now they're here in Urbana on wanting the administration to end the three in one music at halftime. Professor Kaufman. You've been around such a long time, perhaps a vacation is in order, or a sabbatical that would last a decade or more. No, just uh, he's entitled to his own opinion, and he obviously has opinions. He doesn't like the the chief. He doesn't like uh, the uh, chant. He doesn't like the three-in-one. I don't even know if he likes the band or not. Hard to know. Anyway, Michael Kaiser reports that uh, for us, covering the uh, trustees' meeting, that uh, the professor is at it again. We'll take this break. We're coming right back here on Penny. Well, uh, Professor uh, Stephen Kaufman hasn't uh, forgotten his uh, agenda, that's for sure. He wants to end the three-and-one. He wants to uh, end uh, the name of the team, Fighting Illini. But uh, the alumni haven't uh, forgotten either. Michael Sasso of Crawfordsville, Indiana, writes in today's News Gazette, with all the important problems uh, affecting the University of Illinois, Chancellor Robert Jones chooses to spend his time mulling over band music. It would be great if the university had some strong leaders who would stand up to the politically correct troublemakers and even the NCAA and do what the majority of students and alums want for a change. What a way to start off the new football season. And we go to John. Hello, John. Got about a minute. Hey. Yeah, good morning, uh, Jim. 
I think Professor needs to go on that three-hour cruise and look for Gilligan's Island and uh, look for that oceanfront property, and he might get a new perspective of life. Gilligan's Island, huh? Yep, and then he can find that oceanfront property everybody's been looking for out there in Arizona. <laughs> well, he's uh, he's very uh, has very strong opinions, and uh, he is not reluctant in the, the least to uh, let everybody know about him. And he'll appear in front of the board of trustees. He should uh, become a an honorary uh, guest or something of the board of trustees. He's been there so many times. I so, think they ought to dress him up as a line fanatic. Hey, we got to go. Thanks. Our time is up this morning. Thanks for all your calls and your uh, tweets. We'll be back again uh, tomorrow morning at 9 on DWS in Champaign-Urbana.